Just a reminder, we're actually having a drawing for stickers that Gold Label Goods kindly supplied to us. So if you want a chance at one of those or one of our other mystery prizes, <laughs> if you will, please send us a voicemail regarding your feelings about the ending of Lost Girl. And you can send those to us a number of ways. We'll we'll list them at the end of the episode. Otherwise, you can go to drinksatthedoll.com slash feels. Welcome to Drinks at the Doll, episode 129. You're listening to Drinks at the Doll, a podcast way station for Lost Girl fans. I'm your host, Stephanie. And I'm Annie. And I'm Chris. And in this episode, we are talking about the aesthetics of Lost Girl. I think more specifically, we're going to talk about some major set pieces that were used throughout the series, talk about what they look like and what the appearance of these sets kind of tells us about different characters on the show. And this is something we've been wanting to do for a while. I can't believe it took us this long because I find sort of set design and and the environments characters are placed, I think it's really interesting. Because I think we're all more interested in talking about characters as much as we like talking about sets and other things. And there's been so much going on with the characters that we just haven't uh, had a chance to get to it, I guess. That's fair. Well, and I particularly like it in genre shows because they are always a bit more fantastical. And I think it gives the uh, creators and set designers and props department a bit more license to play and be creative and to create some really unique and interesting pieces as opposed to just procedurals and we just need to dress a regular apartment, stuff like that. Yeah, you can go a little bit bigger right. in genre TV. And like we have two sets we're going to talk about that are like the homes of people who supposedly are thousand plus years old and you can do a lot more or that sort of gives you a different set of parameters to work with as a set designer than if you are doing like a contemporary cop show you know exactly it wouldn't be out of place for them to have something that's 500 years old just lying around in their place exactly and they don't have to be super rich to have it So let's get started by talking about probably our main set on the show, the the home of the show, which is Bowen Kenzie's Clubhouse or the Crack Shack. It has a couple of names. Which do you usually use? Crack Shack? Crack Shack. I alternate. Yeah, yeah you're, you're right. Yeah, I do. I think yeah. they tend to call it the Clubhouse on the show. But I think definitely the big thing that stands out about that set is kind of its ramshackleness. We'll put it that way. <laughs> That's totally a word. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's a real off the grid kind of do it yourself quality to the clubhouse. I think I, I'm thinking particularly of the fact that their lighting seems to come from these lamps that you can. Th- I think they use around like construction sets and, and places where they don't have permanent wiring, where they just kind of hang these little light bulbs throughout whatever the the space is. Yeah, the windows are boarded up. The boarded up windows actually kind of blend in with the walls because the walls have the drywall taken down on some parts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's it's a mess, but it's a homey mess. Yeah, exactly. It's what makes a home. I mean, and the furniture is really cozy looking. <laughs> yes, the the exposed things are literally what makes the home. <laughs> Never mind. I also have found it really interesting that they seem to have they have a snack machine. Do they have like another type of like a Coke machine next to it or something? I feel like they've got no. It's just a big no. It's a big it's a clear machine. glass like fridge or freezer or something. But they have, right. It's like a commercial yeah. refrigerator. It's a refrigerator, kind of thing, but the, like with a glass. 
right. door. But like Chris was saying, it's like a commercial refrigerator or freezer. It's not one. Huh. It's something that you would see in like a convenience store rather than a, oh, at the average person's really house, you know? Way. I just and, thought it was a fancy fridge. <laughs> but it makes me wonder, like, where did they get that snack machine from? Where did they get that refrigerator from? Because while Bo in the beginning seemed very stern against like not stealing things do we think that kenzie like called her cousin and was like hey can you hook me up we need a fridge we need some food <laughs> i i think that was just maybe bowing out on a case and she came back and kenzie already had all this stuff set up and her had her cousin bring it in when bo wasn't there so bo couldn't object when she got back because well, it was already yes. there yeah <laughs> i could totally see kenzie doing that i could too because the thing is i i kind of always assumed that with most of the furniture, it was stuff that they just, you know, people had left by the curb right. or exactly. whatever. In the yeah. alleyway And they something. just brought it home. But you kind of can't do that with electronics like refrigerators because then they probably wouldn't work, right? Yeah. So, I mean, either somebody got new ones and they got the old ones or, yeah, it was Kenzie's cousin. Yeah. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> but I think even though, you know, we have the holes in the walls, which, by the way, I think is they mostly – did it and left it there because it's really cool lighting and sort of it looks interesting in the background, right? But, you know, we have these, this house, which is clearly abandoned. It really should have been torn down several years ago, but that somebody just kind of forgot about it. It became too expensive to tear it down. They're just like, eh, whatever, leave it alone. So even though we have this like really abandoned ramshackle house, I feel like there are touches of hominess to it. There's, it's clear that they've made some attempt to decorate. Yes. Well, they've got as, as, I just mentioned they've got the furniture, and the furniture is actually kind of fancy looking, mm -hmm. but it's like old and fancy looking. Well, because I'm, I'm yeah, thinking sort of, of that big piece look. of furniture that they're moving into the house at the beginning of where there's a well, there's a fae. And yeah. that looks like something you'd get at an antique store. It's not, you know, something they wouldn't picked up at Ikea. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Did they drive through the fancy part of town and see what everybody was throwing out? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. But that one, it sounded like it had come from a store and they had stolen it, or Bo had stolen it accidentally. Kenzie had stolen it on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, Bo's bed is extraordinary with mm -hmm. all the sheets and everything. You know, I'm like, who set that up? And it's also seen an extraordinary amount of document sex. But it's just, <sighs> wow, where'd she get that piece? Well, that's what I find interesting because, and this is totally just me speculating, but I kind of feel like... The little bits of decoration that show up around the house are kind of Kenzie's doing. It's like mm -hmm. she moves in and decides to sort of kick things up a notch. <laughs> yeah. But I feel like Bo's bed, that is totally Bo. Like, that is the one place where Bo really put some energy into decorating it and making it look nice. Because, I mean, she's got, like, these gauzy, curtainy things that come around the bed. You don't need those. And but she has twist them. Twist over the bed in an interesting pattern. Yeah. And it's like practically the only thing in the room. It's a huge bed. Mm -hmm. It's and gigantic. It's beautiful. It just shows how important sex is to a succubus. I guess no. She needs a place to do her work. Yeah, like yeah, <laughs> like she needs a place to work. No, <laughs> to feed. I was gonna say it's like it's like having a fancy dining room. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> FYI, there is a fanfic I just found that I haven't read yet, but the title is just called Bed. It's all about Bo's hmm. bed. And how she puts a lot of effort into it. from the perspective it. of the bed? No, it's not from the perspective of the bed, but it's just how... I'm suddenly less interested. <laughs> no, it should be, though. Wow. Maybe I should do mm. that fanfic. But uh, 
No, it's just uh, how grateful Bo is to have the bed with uh, her wife and the docu babies. Oh God, because they all can fit in it. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I said it. <laughs> so I think the clubhouse says some interesting things about Bo and Kenzie as characters. I think it kind of reflects reflects the fact that they're kind of outsiders. The fact that. You know, they get their electricity probably in a dodgy way. They have this kind of ramshackle house that's should have been was probably foreclosed upon years ago. I don't think they pay rent to anybody, you know? No. <laughs> They're definitely living outside of a society. Well, it's always kind of interesting to me when they show shots of the exterior of the clubhouse, there really doesn't look like there's that much close no, to No, it's them. like fields and no. stuff. They seem to be very yeah. out by themselves. But that's kind of so that good, is like, considering what, what they the do. All the times they order pizza, that seems like it would be kind of an <laughs> Like, what does the pizza guy think? <laughs> or does he care? Yeah. He probably Because they clearly care. got delivery, delivery at least once, we see in season one, where the, there's a delivery guy who shows up. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. hmm. Maybe he just doesn't care as soon as, as, long as two pretty ladies open the door. Because right? I, yeah. I would imagine... Okay, maybe this is what happened, guys. This is going to be full of speculation this episode. So, they found the closest <laughs> pizza place to their house... And Bo, like, put the little whammy on the pizza guy there, and that's how they get delivery. Like, really, it's out of their area, but she's just so hot. <laughs> it's true. I love you. I buy it. Yeah, but it's really interesting. Uh, oh, and now that I think about it, when you're talking about the decor and the... I'm thinking more of the structure of the crack shack, because if you go outside that front da- door, there's a hallway and that doesn't, that's the interior yeah. hallway. And that doesn't really look like, that looks like that exists when you look at the exterior shots, which, by the way, is a location in Toronto, which I think I've read where you can find it. And fans have found it. Yeah, that doesn't look like it matches with the exterior shot that they have. So it's very odd. That's a good point. It does seem to have an exterior hallway, which doesn't make any sense since it's a house. The only thing I can think of is there's some sort of entryway area that they like a like a yeah, mud room. exactly. So you have like the door to the house, and then a little area where you can leave your dirty shoes, and then the actual f- front door that we see. But all it's the time. such a ramshackle property. Maybe it was just added on and added on and added on, and you know. So yeah, it could be. It's a really weirdly built house, mm-hmm. and I didn't know. And you know, and then we don't see Kenzie's bedroom until like what season four, and it's apparently like in the attic. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's interesting to me because it, Bo's house is so falling down and 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 yet you know this is where the core of our show lives you know this is bo and kenzie's house so i think there's a certain amount of demonstrating that for bo at least or maybe for both of them it's not so much the house itself that makes it homey but their relationship and the people around them and Mm -hmm. i i find it very interesting the fact that what's the first thing we see bo doing in the episode after kenzie leaves in season five she's painting the house Mm. so I don't know. It's just maybe part of that whole impulse to do little improvements around the house, you know, putting up curtains, sheer curtains and things like that was making up for the fact that it felt less homey since Kenzie had left. Yeah. Interesting. Sort of the equivalent of, you know, somebody going through a major life event and and cutting their hair Mm -hmm. or whatever. Or remodeling with a tiny paint roller that is inappropriate. (laughs) Let's not talk about the paint roller. Chris gets upset. (laughs) Okay. I'm holding my tongue. But that what I think not literally some of the things in the crack shack they're really uh they show things about the characters like how important television is to Kenzie since they have all these 
it, everything's kind of thrown together, but they have a huge TV mm-hmm. so that Kenzie can play her robot games and they can watch Nature Channel documentaries on them. Well, let's switch over and talk about Dyson's living quarters because I, I feel like they have a similar aesthetic as the clubhouse, but but not not the same. You know, his aren't as falling down and ramshackle, but. I think there's a similar sense with Dyson's living quarters that what's important to him is kind of a roof over the head rather than the actual space itself. I don't even know if you could call them living quarters because they don't seem very well, he lives livable there. or <laughs> homey. It's like he just kind of... That's exactly what they are, though. Like they're, <laughs> they're living quarters. It's it's less a home and more living quarters. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like they're living quarters. He lives you there. Know, it's like he threw a bed in the corner just so he'd have a place to sleep. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, that's basically what his place is for. It's, yeah. it's a place to go at the end yeah. of the day. I think and, in his yeah. apartment, he actually had a bed stand. Like, it wasn't just on the floor. But when he moved to the gym, I remember when we see Bo there in Let the Dark Times Roll, it's just a mattress on the floor. Dude, it just looked like an air mattress, practically. Or a futon or something. Yeah. But if it was an air mattress, what if Dyson wolfed out? Then he'd end up with on the floor because he would poke through it, <laughs> a la Wolverine or something. So yeah, these things are things I never think about, Annie. I, I, I do. So the the word that jumps into my mind when I think of Dyson's apartment and his gym is like Spartan and utilitarian. utilitarian. Definitely, yeah. these are not homey places. Well, right. I love when he's like changing clothes at one point in season two and he opens the locker, which of course he doesn't have a dresser. He just has lockers yeah. and there's only like one spare, one or two spare shirts mm-hmm. in there and that's it. Which is funny because I'm thinking back at season two when Kiara is sort of ma- trying to get him to get rid of a t-shirt. I'm like, he has so little stuff, Kiara. <laughs> Can he not keep that one t-shirt? <laughs> yeah, but Dyson doesn't seem like a kind of guy who wears t-shirts. No, that's true. We've never seen him wear a t-shirt. Because he's usually just got his button downs and his vests and a tie occasionally. And then if he's wearing a shirt at all. Exactly. (laughs) And then his wolf jeans. But (laughs) is there is there a hole for the tail? Like what makes them wolf jeans, Annie? (laughs) I I I don't know. But it was interesting how when Tamsin she was at Dyson's apartment once and she found the picture of Bo. In his um, nightstand. nightstand. And now I'm like, wow, Dyson ha- even has a nightstand? I'm surprised. Yeah, I remember when we saw Kenzie, well, she wasn't really Kenzie, fake Kenzie, in the shower in the Kenzie scale. It was clearly like they just kind of, we need to have a shower in this place. It was this weird little stall just over in the corner of the, <laughs> of the room. It was so odd looking to me. Hmm. Well, they probably just stuck it there on the set for the day. Exactly, exactly. So the fact that, (laughs) you know, because I mean, we'd seen Bo in the big claw bed before, uh, bed, bath, bathtub, (laughs) four poster bed, claw claw foot bathtub before. But the fact that they, the set people like didn't think to put in a shower or a bathroom area in Dyson's apartment is interesting to me. Well, because I think to some extent, though, at least in the early appearances of it, you can always assume that it's behind the Mm. camera. Yeah. And, you know, whatever. That's fine. But, oh, no, we need to see it but now. But I still like the like what they picked for it, because it, it did. It looked like it was just shoved into the corner and just kind of, okay, I need a shower. It's the tiniest, most utilitarian shower you can get, you know? Yep. Hmm. Reminds me of college. <laughs> having flashbacks. But, yeah, we didn't talk about the bathtub, though, in, in the crack shack. That's an important set piece, because so much sex happens in there and yeah no I sex like happens in there 
it was the dream sexiness. Well, that's true, but that was exactly. a dream sequence. It was a dream. Yeah. But I, I like how there's no, of course, it's not a regular shower stall or anything. It just has to be a freestanding bathtub with a shower curtain hanging over it, which actually isn't there in later seasons, now that I think about it. Yeah, everything just kind of looks like it's falling apart, so I'm surprised they have running water in the crack shack, or in Dyson's utilitarian apartment, for that matter. I think the big thing that kind of separates, aesthetic-wise, the... Kenzie, Bo, you know, the clubhouse set versus Dyson sets is, yeah, the, the clubhouse is a little bit more homey. But I feel like Dyson, even though he doesn't care about the space itself, I feel like he pays rent or he bought his gym legally. He doesn't feel quite as off the grid as Bo and Kenzie do. What gave you that impression, though? Because it's so run down, I feel like he could have just... Well, gyms are always run down, especially boxing gyms. Those are always run down. I know, but I feel, it looks like it's abandoned practically, and he's like, oh, I'll just set up shop here. Eh. He probably got it cheap. Yeah, he probably got it cheap. It's true. Very, very cheap. Because it has like a sign on it. It looks like it used to be an old business, so I feel like D- Dyson yeah. bought it. And his old apartment, like, he paid rent or he owned it because it was like a loft that he bought. So he feels a little bit more, a little less separate from society than Bo and Kenzie's house does, but not by much. Yeah, not, not by very much. And again, he's well, a cop, so yeah. he'd have to... He needs have like a legal residence, exactly. I would assume. Exactly, he needs a legal residence. He needs some address he can put on his W-2 form, you know? Well, it's really interesting because I wonder if Crack Shack, I don't think that has a legal address, so I'm wondering how the pizza guy even found him. It probably has an it's address. It, is. it probably, it just shouldn't It's actually, just listed as abandoned. Yeah, it's just listed <laughs> yeah. as abandoned on the registers. <laughs> I don't see any numbers on the exterior of that Crack Shack. The whole thing about the Crack Shack, though, is that it was intended as a temporary place Mm -hmm. for Bo to just like squat in before she left town right I mean that's the whole thing is Bo never stayed in one place for very long so yeah until Kenzie it's a metaphor and I also think when it comes to Dyson's apartment and the gym there's an obvious sort of emphasis on his physicality because even when he wasn't living in a gym he was living in an apartment what did we see him doing in his apartment most of the time was like boxing and working out that i think was a priority for him in choosing a space was like having a space where he could maintain his being strong and being a warrior and maintaining his abs yes (laughs) (laughs) if you're gonna be shirtless that often Mm -hmm. yeah so that seemed to be a priority to him in his space versus other characters had different priorities but i I feel like for him emphasis on his physicality was important right another notable thing about the apartment more so than the boxing gym to me it always looked like the walls were what concrete or something right Mm -hmm. i mean it looked pretty Mm -hmm. yeah like unfinished concrete yeah which is also like a good thing for that character i feel like i wonder if if he bought like that loft space if they were kind of in the middle of finishing off he's like no 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 this is good (laughs) (laughs) i I don't need plaster it's fine (laughs) well it's interesting how when He's in the boxing gym that kind of has a pseudo kitchen, at least a sink, mm-hmm. with a, a garden hose that mm-hmm. Lauren can use to clean out stuff, which, of course, that's her instinct. Yeah, Dyson's gym, I think, is interesting because he has that little separate room where we see his like bed is on the floor. It, I think it used to be an office or something like that. I don't know. It feels interesting to me that he he does actually put his bed in kind of in a separate space from the boxing gym and not just like on the floor next to the ring. (laughs) I need to be as close as possible if I need to jump up and spar, you know? (laughs) Like, why not just in the middle of the ring? Exactly. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) So like I mentioned in the beginning of the episode, you know, Dyson is one of our characters who's a thousand plus years old. The other one is Trick. 
And thinking about how their different spaces compare to each other is very interesting to me because they're like night and day, right? Is the the choice of word night significant? (laughs) No, (laughs) but it could be. Let's pretend yes, because I'm smart. (laughs) (laughs) Smart and clever like that. Because, you know, if you think about the relationship between those two characters, you know, Trick was the king and then Dyson was his soldier or knight, as Chris is suggesting. (laughs) And so, you know, what is Dyson's priority in that role? You know, maintaining his physicality. He was, you know, as we saw in the flashback, he was kind of nomadic. So having a lot of stuff not really of interest to him. And then we have Trick, you know, Mr. Previous Blood King, and he's just surrounded by beautiful things. And collected knickknacks. For some guy who seems to be running from his past in a lot of ways, it's interesting to me that he's surrounded by so many pieces of it. True. Although I think we also get indications that a lot of those items have some sort of power or significance or whatever. Unicorn horn for the instances where such things are necessary. Though I think he had to trade for that one. But he traded something valuable to get it. See? Mm -hmm. It's worth having stuff sometimes. (laughs) But I I feel like we've seen... Some of those important pieces of the past, also kind of in the doll area, too, because I'm thinking about back in Confagion, where Bo is like playing with something kind of in the doorway of the doll. And he's like, be careful with that. It's 5000 years old or whatever. So it's not just in his personal space that he has all of these important objects that they also spread out into the the bar as well. Uh, Honestly, it's been so long. I don't remember that, but I'll take your word for it. Well, it's interesting that. You remember he used to have his like little offshoot room off the doll, mm-hmm. and that kind of wasn't there. Didn't really seem to be there. It was more emphasis on his lair, which was kind of below the doll, or downstairs from the doll. He seemed to keep a lot of his stuff there, his personal stuff in that little room, and then it just got moved downstairs in later seasons. I think, of, especially of the places that we've talked about so far, Trick's lair and the doll, are like the most homey spaces. They definitely are the most decorated spaces and they feel very welcoming to me. At least the way that they're lit. I feel very at home kind of in those spaces. Mm-hmm. I always want to try the couches. Yeah, exactly. They look very comfortable. And I always want to look at all the books. I, I've The props on Lost Girl must be amazing. I think Rick Allen had a picture of one of the books once and how you know, how much detail it had in it and how heavy Mm -hmm. it was. But I always want to play with the books and stuff that the props people must have fun making. Well, didn't he talk about that when we interviewed him? How Mm -hmm. wonderful and detailed the props were? If you haven't listened to that interview before, you can find that over at drinksatthedoll.com slash Rick Howland. It was a good interview. He was very interesting, Mm -hmm. very Mm -hmm. kind. I also like that I think one of the earliest, actually it might have been the first appearance of the lair. Doesn't Kenzie refer to it as his hobbit hole? Oh, yeah. And then later is Narnia. I think also in Where There's a Will, There's a Fae, where it's actually not in Trick's lair, because like you said, they kind of got rid of this little side room. But, you know, Trick takes Bo over into the side room, and he's and Bo's like, how very Tolkien. And he says, where do you think he got it from? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. So I think that's- but it does. it does remind me of Hobbit Holes, though, because it's sort of that... It's like a burrow. Yeah. A little bit. That's what's interesting to me because, you know, I feel like Trick's Lair and the Doll is very welcoming and warm and you feel like it's maintained, but especially his Lair also feels very isolated because it's underground. We see that he has at least two escape routes out of there. (laughs) You know, what's the second escape route? There's one that he goes through the 
fireplace. Fireplace. And then in season the one, one, when the elders are escaping, there's like some little space off off camera, kind of to the right, but it's not the fireplace that some people are going, some elders are going. Huh, I don't remember. But it's, it's been at a least while. got at one's escape route. And you remember the uh-huh. the guy who turned into the rat? Mm-hmm. He came up through the there was like a little yeah tunnel or yeah, something like another one, mm-hmm. another potential escape route. But yeah, so I think that's interesting that we have these very warm, homey places, but still this sense of it could be either someplace you could hole up and protect yourself from people, or you can escape from it easily and sneakily if need be. But then the lair is also very private and holds all of its secrets, mm-hmm. literally, because then later we see he's kind of got this vault in mm-hmm. his lair. So, where he adds the Unaman seed and all of that. And I like that he actually, he refers to it as his home, his little hole mm-hmm. in the ground, you know? I, f- I forget who he's talking to and which episode it's in, but he says to somebody, you know, in the future, would you please let, wait upstairs? This is my home. It's some place, it's some in season two. It's like Lachlan's men come down to his house. And he mm-hmm. draws that line, like, the bar, that's the bar, you can wait up there, this is my home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he gets very, very defensive when people invade his home. It's very growly. Well, because there's dangerous, like trick. important stuff down there. Because he's got his secrets, though, is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And that's they true. They might find that's his, his uh, book in which he writes in blood and stuff, you know what I mean? Yeah, his little blood kit and his blood book. His burn book. <laughs> Dear diary. <laughs> yeah, I just think it's real interesting because we have Trick, this thousand plus year old character who has all of these items from his past, and then you compare it to Dyson's home, and he has nothing. Like he he doesn't seem to have anything that really reminds him of the past, at least not on display the way that Trick just that does. shirt with Hale's face on it <laughs> and the uh, championship belt, which we don't seem to even see mm-hmm. beforehand, but that's got his jockstrap with, with the, the other burlap ugly <sighs> hell shoes. Yeah. Let's move on and talk about Lauren so that Annie will <laughs> won't get stuck on the hell shoes. <laughs> so I think Lauren's spaces are very much in contrast to the other characters. Absolutely. For one thing, there there's light. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot yeah. of light. And it's Spartan, but decorated in a way that kind of reflects her. I don't know. Yeah, it's like homey in a way, in a Spartan See, type I would of way. Say I don't know minimalist. How to, how to I feel it. like Dyson is Spartan minimalist because right. he doesn't want to have shit. Like he doesn't care about shit. Lauren's apartment is minimalist because she's clean. <laughs> but it's still elegant. Yes. Because it's got touches of art that kind of reflect her and her nerdiness, hence the wall bush, which now I just think is also a I think the wall bush is under Faye. It's also got that n- interesting naked lady art. Yeah, because you have the very sterile feeling of her apartment. It's, you know, very clean contemporary lines, but you have the naked ladies on the wall. So it's, I think it's reflective of Lauren's maybe outside appearance of prim, proper, uptight character, but she does have an undercurrent of sexuality to her. Of saying, yeah, I have a thing for the ladies. Well, <laughs> on the most obvious level, yes. <laughs> That art says to me. <laughs> and I love how that art is literally part of the Lost Girl app. Like it was when you get to that part, when you get to Lauren's apartment, it's part of that app. And I'm all, huh, I love it. I don't hate it. Anyway, I just had to say that. What? <laughs> and I've seen people speculate. And I kind of like the speculation that the art that we see on the wall was maybe done by Nadia. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah, Because while she was a photographer, you know, photographers generally go through art school, so it wouldn't be a surprise to me that if she could also draw. Yeah. But then Lauren's living space is also, it also has 
you know, trappings of her work. She's got mm-hmm. her set up with all of her. You, I think we first see it in season two, episode two. I think. Scream a little dream. I think is the first. Scream one. a little dream, or yeah. is that's is that three? That's three. Three. Yeah, and she's got that cabinet with all of the pills and stuff she's trying to look through to give Bo. She's got her microscope hooked hooked up to her monitor, and she's got her kind of mini lab there apart from the light fade labs. So, you know, it shows how important her work is to her, but at the same time it has a more elegant, clean, you know, living space as well. And a full kitchen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is that is that important, Annie? Well, yeah, because you got to drink wine and eat stuff. <laughs> You know, cut cantaloupes and then cut your hand and go all psycho girlfriend because the Gruda isn't possessing her. This is an interesting reasoning for why one needs a kitchen. <laughs> yeah, just at least in the lost girl world. But I do think it's an interesting and perhaps kind of telling thing that, you know, Lauren's got this sort of bright space. Because, I mean, again, as introduced, she's being held captive, essentially. Mm-hmm. So there's some element of it there's some element of that in in the space because it is like it's not super homey mm-hmm. you know what i mean there's mm-hmm. white walls and you know minimalist stuff and which i don't know now i'm just never mind <laughs> <laughs> i'm curious well, i think i, I was going s- to make at some point a a you can't hide in minimalist furniture joke but <laughs> but anyway. you can put a couch in there that's a weird kind of bendy couch that has a weird dip in it that you can have documents. That's a chaise lounge. On, but- That's a chaise lounge. Chaise lounge. <laughs> oh, <you>. that. <laughs> I was like, what is Annie talking about? I knew exactly what she was talking about because I knew Annie was always thinking about the sexy. <laughs> so I think you. there is like a, a, just a regular sofa There's a regular couch. Sofa in yes, but she but, also has yeah, a chaise there's lounge. There's a regular couch, but yeah. Oh, the, the lounge. Okay. I'm wondering if the presence of lots of natural light, if it is perhaps tied to the fact that, or just light in general, is tied to Lauren being a human character, which is kind of interesting because we, mm. we do have this sense of like Faye kind of being undercover, you know? We have the Faye world that's a little hidden and separate from the human world. Whereas, and literally underground yeah, in whereas some parts. Lauren is a human and therefore can exist in lighter spaces, but she's a human and, you know, captured and, and working for the Faye. So, I don't know, it's interesting. But I do find it really interesting that she has the most, she tends to have the most well-lit spaces of all the characters. Mm -hmm. I think that is where I was going earlier with my comment about her being (laughs) held captive. Because it is, like, it's a very open kind of space, Uh even though it is also essentially kind of her prison in in some sense. It's like, it's a prison, but she's trying her best not to make it look like a prison to... Have isn't, that the, isn't that the whole thing with her being held by the light phase? You know, they're treating her nice, mm-hmm. but, but she's, she's still a still, prisoner. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because it took me quite a few rewatches because I was noticing Docubus stuff to in Scream a Little Dream. I'm shaking when, my head. Yes, you both are shaking your head. Well, in Scream a Little Dream, when Lauren and Bo are getting close on the couch and then they're interrupted by Lachlan. Mm hmm. And it took me quite a few rewatches to realize as he was walking in, he's twirling keys in his hand. So maybe for mm-hmm. once, Lauren locked her door. He has the keys to her place. So I, I'm thinking that that is a space given to her by the Light Fae. Yeah. Like, here, we'll give you the kind of space you want, but you're still ours. That's I've always speculated that the Light Fae pays for everything. They give her everything she wants, research-wise. 
you know, they can give her a nice place, but they always have access to it. It's not that her doors never lock, it's that her doors are never closed. closed. Exactly. <laughs> well, at this point, it was closed and locked. Obviously, the fact that there's a lot of light associated with Lauren, especially in the first few seasons, I think has to do with the fact that she's a doctor. This is something I think we associate with science-y, medical-type places, but I was just sort of wanting to speculate about the fact that she's the human character amongst all these other characters, like what that might say about her as well. Right. The light in the white walls. I, I would actually argue, too, or at least I think it is arguable that Lauren is actually one of the more honest characters possibly interesting even though she's so hmm. secretive she's very secretive but she rarely lies that i can recall it's just omission yeah there's a lot of like not saying certain things that should probably be said but i don't think she ever really is outright dishonest is she hmm. well she has good intentions That's interesting. i mean if she's told to lie by omission it's by the ash or by so, you know, it's not like Dyson, where Dyson and Trick, they're like, well, we know this, but we must keep it from her. I'm trying to think, especially in the first couple of seasons, I think you're right. Like, when asked a direct question, Lauren does not lie, but she does keep things secret, mm. unlike Trick. <laughs> <laughs> Trick, who is directly asked, is there anything else you're not telling me? And, and he, he says, says no. no. <laughs> yeah. And then, like, a year later, I am your grandfather, by the way. <laughs> That's a pretty big yeah. thing to yeah. like not yeah. think of right I'm, then. I'm not ready at this point to say over all of five seasons that Lauren lies the least, but I'm inclined to go along maybe with not. you that she's maybe I will. the less likely to <laughs> deceive. However, besides Tamsin, Tamsin's generally not particularly deceptive, except in the beginning, I guess. That's true. Hmm. It's interesting to think about, though. I always do wonder what happened to Walbush, though. I saw an actual Walbush a couple weeks ago. I almost took a picture of it and tweeted it and went, there it is. I miss the Walbush Twitter account. Just wanted to say that. But I always think the Walbush got cut up into little plants and then he ended up, or it ended up in Lauren's lab in season five. Because you kind of see some plants well, in the background. We never saw Lauren's living space. In season five, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because clearly over the seasons, you know, they lost particular sets and they got turned into other sets. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, we lost Lorraine's lab and so suddenly she's doing an autopsy in her kitchen. And then in season four, yeah. yeah. And then in season five, you know, she doesn't have an apartment anymore. So we only see her at the clinic. And I do think that the, at least like her, the main room that we see at the clinic, not the, exterior part where we see her treating patients sometimes but like her main little lab in the clinic it feels much darker to me than her lab at the what at the light fake headquarters it's just right it has a blue tint and that strange kind of the, the walls have a strange tint like where we first see Bo in 501 where she's sitting on the gurney and it's that's the first time we see that room and it just looks the lighting is so strange in that room it just makes the document sex so blue, and here comes the night. So I, that's all I can think of. Plus, but there was a dark a very, a blackout, Annie. Well, yeah, but <laughs> I'm just saying it was. It's a very strangely tinned, blue tinged set. I mean the the Light Fay headquarters. There was actually natural light in there, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. So yeah, there's. It's much more. I don't know, ambient, incandescent kind of mm -hmm. light in. The clinic, the Dark Fae clinic. And especially compared to her old apartment, you know, which had a balcony, which is always open. Come on in. And 
<laughs> natural light coming through there. And this place feels very part of like, it's like the inter- interior part of a building. I don't feel like it. Yeah. Well, actually, I think it does have about like a, doesn't it open outside? There's like an outdoor hallway we see. Yeah, but it's not, it feels like there's never much light over there. It feels like it's, yeah, that's no, interesting. It's like a f- completely enclosed with no windows mm-hmm. part of the lab and... Yeah, it's very different. Because I wouldn't be surprised if they recycled her apartment set into that set. Yeah. And therefore, yeah. they incorporated her balcony in that way. Mm-hmm. So do you think that this is communicating a switch in Lauren's character, perhaps, in season five? Mm-hmm. Is it a difference in her character, or is it a difference in her character's circumstances? Could be both. The last couple of pieces of set that I w- thought we could talk about were sort of the Light Fae cor- headquarters versus the Dark Fae headquarters. And the Light Fae headquarters, I'm, t- I'm thinking about where we see like the Ash in Season 1, as well as Lauren's Lab, where we see Lachlan in Season 2. And then by the Dark Fae headquarters, I'm thinking of like Ebony's office, which we see, as well as her apartment. So those are the two kind of set areas that I'm, I'm asking us to kind of c- contrast here. I-, I think for both of them, they both feel like important spaces. I was going to say, they- they're both very grandiose, but in different mm-hmm. ways. Like seats of power. Yeah. Elaborate on that, Chris. What are the different ways do you think that they feel grandiose? I mean, the Light Fae headquarters, especially as we see them in the first couple of seasons, which actually might be the only times we see them now that I'm thinking about Mm -hmm. it. It feels like a great big old building. Rooms are very fancy. I mean, the the Ash office that we see is, you know, it it looks like some sort of fancy ballroom Mm -hmm. or something that got converted into an office Mm -hmm. space. That's actually one of my favorite sets in the whole series, where you see Lachlan with his desk up there on, mm. you know, those steps, which, you know, literally looks like a throne. You literally have to look up to him, which assumes, you know, which is like his literal seat of power. And I like how that, that his relation to the other characters throughout that season, I like how that set emphasizes that. But it's also kind of got those stained glass window things and... You know, old furnishings makes it look like it's in a castle. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like a castle or like a gothic yeah. church or something. Yeah. And if I'm remembering correctly, I think they filmed the exteriors for that place, at least in Vexed, at a college. So, I, you know, I think that that fits like the seat of importance, the seat of, of power of some kind. So, yeah, they definitely, it definitely feels like an important place that the the light fae are occupying and then when it comes to the dark fae i think it also feels important but it's a very different aesthetic yeah it's a lot more modern there's sort of sleek lines and very modern office looking building right And if you think about like ebony's office in it's better to burn out than fae away she's clearly on a high floor of that building right and she's got all these huge windows like the penthouse. Yeah, she's like in a penthouse. She's somewhere up high. Same with like Confagion. We see her like up on a roof, sunbathing somewhere in downtown Toronto, you know? So she definitely seems to have a lot of money and be in in places that are important or at least require a lot of money to get there. It kind of feels like, like the fancy 80s kind of architecture, mm. like that sort of design sense, you know what I mean? Like a lot of straight lines and corners and edges and things, at least in my mind. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I'm remembering it wrong. And I guess also thinking about those two spaces, the Light Faith, as well as feeling a bit more old-fashioned in the aesthetic of the Light Faith headquarters, they also feel more isolated to me, whereas mm-hmm. Ebony clearly seems to be in a seat of power in the human world. Mm-hmm. 
Well, it's interesting in Confasion when Vex says, uh, oh, I want a million in cash for my clubs. You know, it's very obvious that the Morgan has a lot of money and a lot of power uh, in the human world mm-hmm. as well as the Fey world. But she controls a lot of real estate and a lot of income. But I, I do definitely think it's communicated that that even though we see light fae embedded in the human world, that perhaps the dark fae are embedded at a higher level than the light fae. They seem to be more financially savvy, whereas the light fae want to be more underground and live in old castles. And, you know, it's interesting. I wonder what exterior they used when the Ash and Trick are walking around in that exterior near the end of the first season. Mm, yeah. That exterior location yeah. that looks like a castle. But on the other hand, when they were doing the big fight in Barometric Tricks Pressure, I believe that was filmed literally at Casa Loma, one of the frequent filming locations in Toronto, which I've been in. And yeah, very much a, uh, you know, location that fits with the light fae, old thousand-year-old fae decorum that they like to keep. Going back to the light fae feeling perhaps more isolated than the dark fae, I'm thinking in season three when Hale became the Ash. I mean, I think partially they replaced the the light fae sets with something else or they lost them for some reason. Just lost the set. (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, he moves into some room of the doll and he says part of that reason is to be more accessible and be part of more of everyday life, I guess, for the Fae, rather than in the Light Fae castle, or whatever we want to call it. <laughs> well, it's interesting, those lines they write to kind of make up for losing sets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> were, were the Fae in some sort of financial crisis? Did they need to sell their castle? <laughs> I, I think the Light Fae just didn't know how to spend and economize and, mm. you know, invest like Morgan, like the Morgan and the Dark Fae, and they just, yeah, lost it when the economy tanked. Well, and you gotta imagine those heating bills must have been killer. Yeah, but you should see how much fanfic I read commenting on how cold the Crack Shack is, because of all the the holes in the wall. Yeah. But they they never really mention it Mm -hmm. in the show, how cold that place should be. No. And although there's the line that Trick has in... I don't know, season four, season five, where the doorknob breaks off and he goes, this place is a death trap. Hmm. Maybe there are space heaters everywhere. They're just off camera. Yeah, but that's a hazard. Bo's always running around in like a slip. That's true. (laughs) Or a kimono, yeah. When Trick comes in and he goes, this place is a death trap, and Kenzie's like, oh, I'll have that embroidered on a pillow. That wasn't the first time he was in the crack shack, so I'm wondering why he's suddenly bringing that up. That always made me curious. Well, you're assuming it's suddenly that he's bringing it up. <laughs> maybe it's something he tells them every time he visits. That's true. And maybe he couldn't express his concern for the first season because Bo didn't know that he was her grandfather. We would love to hear your thoughts about the aesthetics on Lost Girl. You can go and leave a comment in the show notes for this episode over at drinksofthedoll.com slash 129. As Chris mentioned at the beginning of this episode, we are running a contest. You can win a sticker as well as other prized, just dear Lost Girl prizes that I'm not going to mention what they are yet, but you'll want them. I promise. Do do you know what they are? I do. (laughs) The way you said that just made me snort. I do know what they are. You can send us a voice message telling us your feelings about Lost Girl coming to an end, what Lost Girl has meant to you over the years, anything like that. You can send us that those voice messages in a couple of ways. Go to our website, click on the send voicemail link on the right side of the page. That website is drinksofthedoll.com. You can also record a voice memo 
on your smartphone, email that to feedback at drinksofthedoll.com. You can also call our listener voicemail line at 972-514-7223. I'm so glad you could join us for Drinks of the Doll. My name is Stephanie. I want some naked lady art. My name is Annie. And my name is Chris. Thank you so much for listening. Cheers. Storm me off. You haven't had like a little snappy ending. And my name is I Think Too Much About Weird Things. That was terrible. Don't use that.